0: I'm going to pray uh, during this time and uh, we'll get into the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for giving us life and for bringing us here. Uh, Wherever we find ourselves, Father, whether we have uh, health problems, um, family issues, financial struggles, Would we find our foundation and our meaning and identity in you? And for those who are listening, Father, if they do not know you, I ask that you would open their hearts and they would see your word as beautiful, that they'd want to follow you, that they would adore you, and that we would share about your good news. So, Father, give me your words to speak as we go through the book of Malachi. So thankful for your word. May it transform my heart, my family. This church, for those listening, to your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen. In 1962, there were two American scientists, David Bernays and Charles Sawyer. They went for a hike in a mountain range in Peru. And they had reported seeing this giant rock, a giant piece of cliff that was a bit compromised by the melting ice below. And they thought, if this falls, it's going to destroy this village of about 20, over 20,000 people below. And so, uh, according to Charles Sawyer, when this was reported to the Express newspaper at the time, in the September 27th issue, the government actually ordered them to retract their statement It was causing a panic, and anyone who was to speak of this rock and this cliff falling, um, they were actually forcibly prevented to stop speaking. Eight years later, in 1970, the glacial ice did melt, and this cliff destroyed this village in Peru. 20,000 people were killed and only 400 survived. In this image you see behind me, if you're listening to the podcast, you're just going to have to use your imagination here. Look up Yungay, U-N-Y-U-N-J-Y, Peru. In the highlighted part there, that's where the avalanche traveled for miles and destroyed this village. The government has ordered that no one can actually excavate the site. It's a national cemetery, so you can't actually go there and look for anything. And so the warning was there. The warning was there from these two scientists, David and Charles, and nobody listened, and very few actually believed it. And likewise, we have here in the book of Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament, is this warning. This warning that God is coming, and that He will destroy, He will judge those who do not follow Him. The warning is here. The word, the warning, has been throughout the Old Testament that this day is coming. It's called the Day of the Lord, and so we, all of us, we would do well to remember God's warning that He is coming back. He's coming back for His own, to bring judgment. Yet to bring grace to those who follow him. The book of Malachi is written about 460 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And Malachi kind of looks like Malachi. I actually heard that joke for the first time from someone in this church. I don't know if you call him the Italian prophet. It looks like the word Malachi, it's not Malachi, it's Malachi. Is Malachi. And his name in Hebrew means my messenger or God's messenger. And so he has this message. And he writes this very short book. Four chapters. Final book of the Old Testament. And the way it's set up is they're called disputations. So there's these disputes. So God, God says to his people. So if you flip to uh, Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. I won't have it up on the screen. God says, I have, I have loved you, my people. I have loved you. Like a, like he's, he's talking to his people as like a father. I have loved you. And the people respond, how have you loved me? And God responds in by saying, well, I showed you in this way. Like a father question or a son questioning the father's love, like the father saying, "I I have loved you," and the child saying, "But how?" So there's six of these disputations. God says, "I've done this for you," and the people moan and groan and whine, and then God responds and does this six times. So there's these six disputations. In chapter two, verse six, God says in another disputation. God says something. You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, so the people respond, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? In verse 7 it says, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. So when the people are to worship God, they're to, br- they're to bring their best, their best animals, perfect. But they're bringing these broken, these, these diseased, these crippled animals before God. And God is saying, You've shown contempt for my name. You have not worshipped me properly. And the people are saying, How? What are you talking about, God? We've never done this. We've done nothing but do good things for you. And God says, Will you bring me defiled sacrifices? So that's how the book of Malachi is kind of set up, these six disputations. One, two, three, four, five, six. And it's this is continual pattern that you get throughout the Old Testament the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, is this continual pattern of God blessing his people, God bringing good things, like the universe into existence, like people into existence, like air, like food, like all these good things. God blesses is the first part of the pattern. The second part of the pattern is his people rebel. God blesses, people rebel. God blesses, people rebel. God blesses, people rebel. They think, oh, maybe if we have better kings, will do better. They still rebel. Well, maybe if we you send these prophets, they'll listen to God. And then they rebel. It's this continual pattern until we get to this final book. Malachi. Malachi is trying to reaffirm God's love for his people. Despite their rebellion. Despite their continual sin and failure. He continues to love them. And to show great grace towards them. This is the story of the Old Testament. This is the story of us. How we continue to fall and make mistakes and rebel against our friends, against our spouse, against our God. God continues to be faithful and have mercy towards us. He's warning us that there is a judgment to come. And if you're on the wrong side of that judgment, there will literally be hell to pay. so turn with me to Malachi. We're in the last chapter, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back as a gift for you. You can follow on the screen or you can just listen. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. We're going to pause here. This is a very short chapter. There's only six verses. We're going to stop here in verse 3 for a second. God's saying, I will judge. I will bring judgment upon the arrogant and the wicked. for those who did not follow my commandments and my decrees and my, my good laws. But I will give grace to those who fear my name. I will give grace to those who fear my name. Who follow me who love me, who cherish me. And it says the Son, the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness will set them free. And so, in a lot of Old Testament writing, a lot of writing in the Hebrew culture, they use a lot of imagery. And the Son is one of them. And God is compared to the Son in only one spot in the Old Testament. Psalm 84, verse 11. It says this. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. So the sun is this metaphor for protection, for for blessing, and for healing. And healing includes all sorts of things, not just sickness and tragedy and loss, but this restoration of all of life. This peace, this peace that we have with God, this peace that we have with our neighbors, this peace that we have with our friends. The Hebrew word is shalom. This harmony, this total peace. The son of righteousness, verse 2, will rise with healing in his wings. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us now. We don't speak like that. You know, if I were to come up to you and say, The Son of Righteousness is upon your life. Well, maybe if you're a Christian, you think, oh, Jesus Christ. But we don't really talk like that to each other. We say, hey, how are you doing? May you be blessed. Back then, they spoke like that. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. To us, that doesn't really make any sense. But to the original audience there, this is a direct reference to this God. This false God called Ahura Mazda and it's portrayed as this this kind of circle and this these big like eagle like wings and this they thought that this Ahura Mazda would bring protection and if there was a person placed within this circle a king or something like that that this person would have protection from Ahura Mazda And so that's immediately what they thought when they heard of the Son of Righteousness. They think, they think of this God, but Malachi is saying there's a greater, there's a greater Ahura Mazda that brings protection and healing. I don't know if any of you guys are car fans, but if you see the Mazda logo, the current Mazda logo, it's actually not an M. The idea it's a bird, and it's derived from Ahura Mazda. That's this idea, this superstitious, false idea. So when they were hearing this, they were like, whoa. This is a major God, Ahura Mazda. But you're saying there's a greater one, the son of righteousness. And so Malachi continues, if you want to avoid judgment, because that day is coming, that day is coming for you and for me, God will come back, and everything we've said and we've done in our life and thought will be judged. This is how we are to continue in God's blessing. Verse 4 Remember to obey the law of Moses, the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. On one hand, Malachi is saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for each of us. On the flip side of this coin is, grace is offered to everybody who hears this message. Grace is offered to anybody who hears this message. In two ways. First, in verse 4, remember to obey the law of Moses. These are the commands of God. These are how you are to live right with God and with one another. Given to a man named Moses. If you ever heard of the Ten Commandments, this is part of the law of Moses. Do not steal, do not cheat, do not lie. Do not have any other gods. All these decrees were given to my servant Moses. And so what Malachi is saying, go back to the word of God. If you've gone astray, follower of God, go back to the word of God. If you do not follow God, go to the word of God, which is available for you. This is the first grace. Remember the law of Moses, the law. That's a huge portion of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And so, prophets is the second part, the second grace. God promises to send, in verse 5, the prophet Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. this prophet who will speak on behalf of God, who will give this message of grace to anyone who would receive it. Elijah is coming, this great prophet. These are very important characters, very important figures in the scriptures. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And the book of Malachi, like all of the Old Testament books, from Genesis to Malachi. They point us to a central figure that is beyond Elijah, that is beyond Moses. Remember in verse 2, the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Malachi is pointing to Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. In the New Testament, verses 4 to 8, it says this, In him, in Jesus, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that through him everyone might believe he himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon. For the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb, and the lamb is a title for Jesus Christ, is its light. So in John chapter 1, Revelation chapter 21 is referencing Jesus as the primary source of light echoing the sun of righteousness in Malachi. And when Malachi writes of these two graces of obey God's law, follow Moses and listen to the prophets, the prophet Elijah I want you to journey with me here and see how amazing, how amazing this teaching is from Malachi. Moses again represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Malachi is saying, you need to follow and listen to both of these figures. And there's a time in the New Testament, there is this appearance that Christ made that. Christ was greater than Moses. That Christ was greater than Elijah. And there was this this very mysterious and interesting scenario in John chapter 9 where they saw Jesus take a different form and they see the image of Elijah and Moses. John chapter 9 verses 2 to 4. Listen to this. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. These are his followers. And led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling, white. Far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then, then who shows up? As a spirit, as an image, we're not sure what's happening. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. These central figures in Moses and in Elijah. The writer, John, is saying, in this appearance that Jesus had, these two men appeared, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophet, and Jesus Christ in front, signaling, displaying, showing us That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophets. And this is who you've been looking for. Jesus Christ is the son of righteousness. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a shadow of Jesus Christ. It whispers his name. And we see the reality in Jesus Christ. The context of the Bible is Jesus Christ. All the law, all the prophets, everything that's spoken about is fulfilled completely. In Jesus Christ, this is who everyone's been waiting for. This is who the law and the prophets have been speaking about. Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus says, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Fulfilled. In Jesus' day, they thought Elijah was literally coming back. They're waiting for this, this mighty prophet who spoke on behalf of God, this message of God, to come back and restore all things. And this prophet, this prophet would come that would, that would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, and if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah. Jesus is talking about John the prophet. He is Elijah, the one the prophet said would come. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of of the godly. The book of Malachi was written and it closes. And we have four hundred and fifty years of silence. God doesn't speak to prophets. We have no writing in between that time. And all we have is this this prophecy, this prediction that Elijah's coming back, and then when Elijah comes back, the day of the Lord will come. A great day of judgment will come for each of us. And so 450 years later we have the New Testament and we have someone show up on the scene called John the Baptist and Jesus is saying he is the Elijah we've been waiting for and he's preparing the way for me. He has come. Elijah has come. And so Malachi is giving us this warning of judgment but this this amazing display and gift of grace that we are to turn to the Son of Righteousness. We are to turn to Jesus alone. There is no other prophet. Not the prophet Joseph Smith of Mormonism. That is a false religion. Not the prophet Muhammad of Islam. He is a false prophet. There is no other prophet. John the Baptist has come and he's prepared the way for Jesus Christ and this is the message that we share. The day of judgment is coming but by faith in Jesus Christ, the son of righteousness who has absorbed our rebellion and our judgment on the cross 2,000 years ago, he's restored peace for those who believe he's restored shalom for those who believe Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets Jesus faced the judgment that we deserve he went into the fiery furnace of God's wrath and he took our condemnation that we would be set free and as we read the bible It can seem like such an overwhelming and daunting text. And even as you're listening to me, you're thinking, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. But God is not a God of confusion. He's revealed himself in his word, in the Bible. It is an amazing gift that we have this book and that we can read it and that I can share it. And it might not be for long. Pastors going to jail for preaching the word, being seen as hate speech, people trying to cancel churches. But we continue to bring the gospel in a culture that will face judgment. But we tell them about the Son of Righteousness who's come for you. It is a gift for you. It is a gift for you. What have you done? What have you done in your life? Perhaps it's shameful. You can't even share about it. You can't even think about it. It haunts you. The son of righteousness forgives you. He offers forgiveness with healing in his wings. He is the greater Moses. He is the greater Elijah. He is the greater Ahura Mazda. He is the one sent of God to face judgment and to give you grace. This is a gift. This is an absolute gift that you cannot earn or keep. Christianity is the only faith and worldview that says our God has done everything for us. Every other worldview, every other religion says we must work to earn it. This is amazing grace. This is why we sing amazing grace. Do you know him? Are you in his word? Are you in the law? Not as a not as a burden, but as the psalmist once said, the law is like honey on my lips. I think about it day and night, that our relationship with God would be so sweet, that it would be a delight. It is a delight to follow after him and to obey him and to do what pleases him. Isn't that true in marriage? That we ought to pursue, for those of you who are married or thinking about being married, that we pursue the desires of our spouse. And not for selfish gain. It is a selfless act. The Son of Righteousness has come, and He has died. And He was risen from the grave, and He's coming back. What side of his judgment will you be on? What side of his judgment will you be on? I pray that you receive his grace and his mercy. And that you would be on the right side of judgment. And myself as well. Let's not get caught up in the things of the world. If God questions us. Or says to us, I love you. And you say, how? How have you done that recently? Have you seen my life? I'm sick. I'm single. I'm broke. Look at the world around us. Where are you, God? Let's not be on that side of the disputation. When God says, I love you, let us take it as his son and daughter, as his son and daughter, as a gift of grace. If you do not know him, I encourage you open up the Bible. Open up the Bible. Start in Genesis. Start reading. And as things get confusing, put a question mark. If things stick out to you, underline it. Go to a local church. Speak to Christians in your life. Try to understand the book in community. And realize this book isn't just a compilation of these 66 or these these random stories put together. It is one central message of how God blesses and how we rebel. And God will ultimately bless. If you have a Bible. Go to the last verse in the Old Testament. The last verse in the Old Testament. Which is Malachi. Chapter 6. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise I will come and strike the land with the curse. That is the last word, curse, in the Old Testament. And if you're in that day and age and you're listening to that, it's a bit terrifying. And you're hoping, okay, maybe next week we'll hear something. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. Maybe next decade. No, 450 years of silence. And there's this looming last word from the prophet Malachi, from God. Curse! Curse! flip to the last word in the New Testament. The book of Revelation chapter 22. Now depending on your translation, let's take the sentence as a whole and not literally just the last word. Revelation chapter 22 verse 21. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. The Old Testament ends with curse the New Testament ends with grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. And now we welcome all into this story that God is, has started and is completing. We want to see all of Whitehorse come to Christ. We want to see people in the communities come to know Jesus Christ. We want to see healthy churches started all around the world where families can be restored and relationships can be rebuilt And insecurities found in the identity of Jesus being a son or a daughter. This is the message that we bring. There was this curse, but grace has come and it has a name and it's Jesus Christ. And we go throughout the world sharing this message. And it begins with each of us. Where is your sphere of influence? Find ways. Sit down with people. Ask them about their life. Really listen to their story. Find how the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, speaks into that message. People pursue money and wealth. Where would that pursuit lead you? What if you had all the money in the world and you lose your soul? And then you die. What if there's a greater story? What if there's a greater treasure than what this world has to offer? If you're a Christian, we are passing through as messengers. We're ambassadors. Our kingdom is not Whitehorse. Our kingdom is not the Yukon. Our kingdom is not of this world. We are passing through. Our kingdom is of a different origin. Of a different king. The son of righteousness. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We must share this news. When was the last time you, have sh- you shared this news with somebody who didn't know? What's stopping you? If you're a Christian, there's no judgment there. God's not going to say, you worthless child. No. No, no, no. The grace of Jesus is the message of what he's accomplished, and he will welcome you. Come home my good and faithful servant. But we need to examine ourselves. We need to ask, why don't we share this message? Is it fear? Is it embarrassment? Maybe we don't know what to say, and that's fair. Maybe approach one of the elders, and we can walk with you and how you can share this message naturally in people's lives. But there's going to come a confrontation because there is a message of judgment, and people don't want to hear that. People are selfish. I'm selfish. We want to to be in control of our lives. We want to choose who we want to date. We want to choose what we do with our money. We want to choose where we live. Don't ask me to change the way I think. We're very self-centered. We're very hyper-individualistic in Canada. That's why we live in silos. Not really community, kind of got our own thing going on. But God is building a people community all around the world. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. Every background. Every intellect. To be a family. And we are a family. We are literally a family with a bond that's greater than blood because the Son of Righteousness has adopted us. But this message of Malachi rests in your heart. But the day of the Lord, the day of judgment is coming. If you know him, it's a day to rejoice, because we're going to go home to our Heavenly Father. But for those who do not know, it is unspeakably horrible. I know there's pastors who, when they talk about hell, when they talk about the fiery furnace that God has prepared, and this is a reality, they can't help but cry. I don't have that type of reality. I know it intellectually, but hell unspeakable. We don't want people to go there. We want people to worship our king. We want people to be adopted into this family. We must have an urgency to this message. We need to look at our lives and and figure out where are we spending our time, where are we spending our money, where are we spending our thoughts, that we would give praise and honor and all glory to the son of righteousness alone. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray for clarity. And I pray for reality of who you are in our lives. I pray for those who believe in you, that we would be eager to share the message. That we would not be afraid of anything or anyone in this world. But we would honor you, Father. Give us a desire to read the Bible. It seems so dry and humdrum and boring. God, give us an inspiration and a desire to see that is the eyes of Jesus Christ we see when we read the Bible. This is the heart of Jesus we see when we read the Bible. Give us a passion for your word and to know you deeply, to not play games, to not just argue and debate, but to know you and to love you Father, give us a passion to pray, to speak to you, Father. Let us not coast through this life on our own strength, trusting in only what we can do. But we trust in you entirely. We're grateful for you, O great Son of righteousness. Thank you for coming. Amen.